Joy to be with you as we dive into God's Word in the second week of this Lent sermon series. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? There's a Red Pew Bible. It's in front of you. If you're in the front rows, there's a cubby right behind your legs there. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your life rather than it sitting here closed all week in the pews. We'll replace it as soon as you take it. It's not sealing if we offer it to you, as we like to say. So excited to be in the pulpit with you. We're in this uh, sermon series taking a look at arguably the most famous sermon ever delivered by Jesus, of course, uh, referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you were here last week when Pastor Kim started us off? That was phenomenal. So great. We thank you so much. You know, you started off not only this Lent sermon series, but the prayer sermon series beforehand. We were in the vestry beforehand, and I was saying to the team, in baseball, there's a really important role in the team, and it's the leadoff hitter. And usually it's one of your best batters that goes first because they set the tone at the beginning of the game. And Pastor Kim has been kind of our leadoff hitter on these sermons. So we're so thankful for you and all the gifts that God gives you. And uh, I was out uh, with my family on vacation. It was wonderful to get away. And uh, it was especially wonderful because the week before, I was up with a group of middle school kids in the mountains, in the snow, at church camp, uh, uh, winter camp with these high school kids and middle school kids uh, in the cabin, and it is exhausting, especially when you discover halfway up on the drive, I was driving one of those 15-passenger vans, and I had like 12 kids in the back, and, and it's just getting louder and louder and louder, you know, and it's a lot of fun, but it's getting louder and louder, and it's dark, and it's, it's starting to rain, and you're thinking, oh boy, it's going to start snowing as the, the temperature's going down, and then a kid in the back yells so loud. Can you pass the chocolate-covered espresso beans back to me? <laughs> no, don't pass the chocolate. So apparently one kid brought a huge bag of... Oh, wow. I don't think it wore off until the following Tuesday. Um, but boy, uh, the joys of ministry, the joys of ministry, and we get to do this together. And, you know, in many ways as we go through this Sermon on the Mount, it reminds us that the Christian faith is so much more than just a faith. And some people call it a religion. It is so much more than just a religion. It is about relationship, radical relationships that are being transformed. And it begins with a relationship with God, the maker of heaven and earth, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that radical new relationship that we have in right relationship with God, not because of our good deeds, even despite of our sin, we are reconciled to God because of the righteousness of Christ. We now have a new relationship with ourselves, a new relationship with one another within the body of Christ, which Scripture says we're called to be friendly with one another, but we're not just friends, we are family. You choose your friends, you don't choose your relatives. And it's easy to have friends that kind of come and go, and there's a different level of commitment and care and accountability within a family. And some of you are like, yes, I would never choose <laughs> that person to be part of my family, and yet here we are. There's a depth of transformation that happens, again, from that relationship with God. And it changes our relationship with others outside of our community of faith, outside of even our biological family. It changes our relationship with our neighbors, those we work with, those we interact with in the city. 
It changes how we interact with the people in this world that we might consider enemies. It even changes our relationship with all of creation. And what's fascinating is that there is nothing in the world like the kingdom of God. There's no company, there's no sports team, there's no movement, there's no nonprofit, there's no political party that has a depth and a breadth and a height quite like the kingdom of God. And when I look out in the world and I see, you know, corporations and sports teams and movements and even political parties, they might have, you know, like a Venn diagram, they might touch little aspects of the kingdom of God, but they don't cover the whole thing. And in 2024, in an election year, you and I need to be reminded that the greatest hope for this planet is not who's in office, it's not who wins the national championship, it's not who's at the top of the stock exchange, it's not this or that, it is the work of the Holy Spirit through the local church, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, because God is in the middle of reconciling all things to God's self, and His strategy is to use you and me. And so it matters how we follow Jesus. The very end of the Sermon on the Mount compares a number of things. It compares two trees, two gates, two roads, and two houses built on two different foundations. And it's as if, and I know this is the last sermon in the in this series, but it's important just to note that often when you conclude a sermon, how you end kind of defines everything you've said before that. You wouldn't preach this way and all of a sudden introduce a new thought if you're a good communicator, and Jesus is the best preacher there ever was. And so Jesus is bringing it home, and we'll, we'll get to this in the last week. But what he's doing is he's not comparing good people versus bad people throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's not um, comparing Christians versus non-Christians throughout. He's not comparing um, religious people and unreligious people throughout. No, he's comparing people who are hearing the message of Christ. And there's some who just hear that, and it falls on deaf ears, and they keep living life how they have been. And the second group is a group of people who hear the teachings of Jesus, and they are radically transformed in how they live and how they love. And so as we go throughout the entire the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to all of us. And He's longing, He's pleading, He's inviting, He's casting vision that we would catch His heart on how to be His hands and His feet. And today we get to anger. Specifically, what do we do with anger between one another? A future sermon will be what do we do with those outside of the church, our neighbors, our uh, co-workers, people that we see on television, in the news, but this sermon in particular has everything to do with one another. So I'm going to read for us as Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. Again, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Jesus preaching. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, quote, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry, with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. 
And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on your way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge of the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. This, my friends, the reading of God's Word, and as we say every week, thanks be to God. Spirit of the living God, come fall on us. This is impossible. This is actually impossible. What I want to do is two points. The, the depth of the problem and the radical cure. The depth of the problem and the radical cure. So take a look again, verse 21. Jesus is saying, you have heard that it has been said. He's referencing the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment of the Ten that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai is, you shall not murder. However, embedded within those ten wasn't just uh, to avoid murder, it was also the flip side of that, and it was to pursue love. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, also known as the Old Testament, God's people were commanded not just to avoid murder, but to repair people, to heal people, to care for people, to lift people up. The Ten Commandments are not just ten things that you should avoid and then you're good. There's two sides of the coin. And Jesus is essentially flipping the coin over and showing you exactly God's heart and what that means. Because it's possible to go throughout life physically never murdering someone and thinking, oh, I'm good. But in actual fact, you are murderer, murderer through and through. And this is a real problem. And the problem is that many of us don't think it's a problem. And many of us, we hear this, so we might say, well, gee, come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? Angry? That's, that's not the same as murder. I will demonstrate very shortly that it is exactly the same. And it's just as significant and it's just as much a problem. Jesus says, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, again, brother or sister, this is family language. This is within the body of Christ. This is within people in these pews, within this membership, within your life groups, within serving teams, with people on staff, not on staff. It's within us. If you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. This is hard language. This is such hard language. He's saying that if you were angry with someone, it's the same as murder. Now, here's what's crazy. I live in an area where everyone is talking about a murder case that is being talked about around the globe. Have you heard about the Grossman trial? Show of hands if you've heard about this. Well, this is my neighborhood, my community. That family, those boys lived in my neighborhood. That crosswalk is a half mile away. I crossed that crosswalk twice today, three times today, on a run, back and forth, and then driving past it. And if you don't know the story, uh, really a horrific, awful, awful tragedy. 
And uh, a woman was charged by uh, our local uh, courts, uh, guilty on all counts. Two young boys, forever gone. And what's interesting in my community, in my neighborhood, do you have this uh, next door app? Oh, you have that too? Some of you are shaking your heads. Um, well, I see it there. I see it in the comments and the newspapers, you know, and it's local news like the Acorn and the LA Times, the Washington Post and the Guardian. I mean, it's all, the whole globe is talking about this thing. There's Reddit pages devoted to this, people talking, but what's really interesting, and I hear this, you know, when I'm kind of in line at the grocery store, I'm at a coffee shop, I'm, I'm, I'm here and there. The amount of seething anger towards this woman who seems to be on the surface unrepentant. And there's this vitriol towards this woman. There's this anger towards this woman. There's this hate towards this woman. And Jesus is saying, what the world is doing to this woman is exactly what this woman did to these kids. And if you disagree with that, you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with Jesus. And you need to take that up with Jesus. The problem with Scripture, it says about itself, is that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It separates spirit and marrow. It's like a scalpel. And God's Word wants to do surgery on our hearts. And I'm so thankful that we have people like David Fung in our congregation, an anesthesiologist, who in actual surgeries causes people to be completely immobile so that they're not squirming on the operating table. The problem is, is that spiritually speaking, we're squirming on the table. Jesus, don't do that. And we get bloody and we blame it on the surgeon. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Cause us to be still. May your Spirit search us, convict us, know us. Because the Jesus' teaching is exactly what we need. And it goes from one level to another level to another level. He says that if you're angry, you're liable to judgment. And then it goes on, he says that if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. There's depths here. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. We're going to end up in hell in a moment. So hang with me here. Uh, liable to judgment. And it says if you insult a brother or sister in the Greek language, language of the New Testament, it literally says if you say raka. Let me hear you say raka. You just uh, said empty head. That's, that's literally what it means. Essentially what it means is you are a nobody. When you think about the last year, are there people in your life that you've considered not worth your time within this body of Christ? You consider them nobody. They're not worth your energy. They're not worth your love. They're not worth your sacrifice. They're not worth your prayers. They're hopeless. Jesus says that you can actually see through people in the body of Christ. And that's even worse than anger. But it gets even worse than that because he says, third level down. And if you say you fool, the Greek word there is morose. Let me hear you say morose. It's where we get the word moron from. It's essentially murdering someone's reputation. 
not seeing through them, but actually saying to them, really with the hopes that they believe it, that they're a moron, that they're a failure, that they're an idiot, they're good for nothing. Essentially, you begin bullying the person. Have you heard of the phrase reputational civil war at all? Reputational civil war? That's what's happening in America right now. We're in the middle of a reputational civil war, and it's being waged on social media. It's being waged behind microphones. It's being waged behind press releases, a reputational civil war. You you can murder someone's career by making statements, by saying things, torpedoing them. Jesus says to this 2,000 years ago, King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. What we're experiencing in 2024, Jesus experienced in the first century and was experienced 2,000 years before that. This is a very real problem. When we're angry with one another, we are murdering each other. When we see through each other and consider each other nobody, we are murdering each other. When we call people names, when we label them, when we dehumanize them, when we put them down within the body of Christ, we are murdering them. It's a real problem. And again, the problem for many of us is we don't see it as a problem. And if we don't see it as a problem, then by default, that makes us just like the Pharisees. Who the Pharisees, they thought they were clean. And Jesus described them as clean on the outside, but very filthy on the inside. The cure, the radical cure, is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Take a look. It says this in verse 21. It says, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, this is in the context of worship. I want you to catch this. Jesus is teaching. He says, not when you wake up in the morning, not when you go have breakfast, not when you go over to your friend's house, not when you go to work, uh, not when you're on a walk. He says, when you are presenting your gift at the altar, when you're in the midst of worship, when you're turning your heart and your mind, your soul to your creator God, that's the cure, friends. When you turn off of yourself, when you turn off of how you might be better than other people, and that's why your anger is justified, when you turn to God, you begin to realize that you are actually accepted into God's presence because of what Jesus has done before you through his perfect death, through his sacrificial life, that Scripture says that in every single way, you and I, we had our backs to God. The book of Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when we're in worship, we're remembering the unconditional love that God extends to us through Jesus Christ. And in actual fact, even when we are angry, even when we see through people, even when we label people, Jesus says, that's what I came to die for. And Jesus, throughout his life, he loved and he forgave and he extended peace and justice and mercy. He was full of both grace, he was full of truth. And as he goes to the cross... He's not blaming people. He doesn't go to the cross as a victim. What does he say on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. After his resurrection, he doesn't show up to the first disciples and say, well, let's first talk about how much you got wrong. The first thing he says is, peace be with you. I found personally that when I spend time in worship and I reflect on the links that Jesus went to for me, a murderer who has anger, who sees through people, 
who labels people. And I realize that Jesus comes to me out of love, lays down his life, reconciles me back to God, formerly an enemy, now adopted into God's family. It humbles me to the point that I say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Who am I to not extend forgiveness to those around me? Who am I to see through people when Jesus doesn't see through me? Who am I to call people a moron when Jesus calls me beloved and beautiful and child? The radical cure is in worship. And the Apostle Paul says that we don't have to go into a building to worship. We can actually worship God anywhere. That's why I believe Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. He had a proper view of himself in relationship with God. And out of that, all of his judgmentalism, all of his prejudice, all of his finger pointing went away. And he was able to forgive and extend love. And here's what's fascinating. Just to end very quickly here. In Matthew 5, it says the complete opposite of what it says in Matthew 18. Matthew 5 says, If, as you're going to God and worship, as you go to present your gift to the altar and you remember, which by the way, you're only going to remember that in relationship with God. You're not going to remember that when you're in the midst of your good deeds. You're not going to remember that in the midst of your busyness. You're not going to remember that in the midst of doing all these things. You're not going to remember that in the midst of trying to earn God's love. But when you are with God in worship, you will remember, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When someone else has a grievance against you, Matthew 5 says, not when you are angry against them. Did you catch that? Take a look. Matthew 5 is different than Matthew 18. Matthew 5 says, when you remember that someone else has a problem with you, whose responsibility is it? It's yours. You go to them. You seek them out. And you do everything you can to not be a stumbling block for their relationship with God because it says that they are not actually gathered in worship in that moment. You, you seek to reconcile. You bring them there. And what's fascinating is that Matthew 18 says the complete opposite, that if you have experienced sin from someone else and you are angry towards them, then you need to go to them. So whether someone is angry at you or you are angry at them, you are responsible for initiating it. So that means that every single person who's part of the body of Christ is responsible for initiating these things. The problem is, is that we're in a Matthew 5 case, we're like Matthew 18. Or if we're in a Matthew 18 case, we're like Matthew 5. And we're in proximity with one another, but now we're not in deep, deep community. Reconciling, forgiving, murderous, 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 murderous people. And what does Jesus do with murderous people? He gives his life out of love for you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I lay down my life. I give my life. Take my life. Save them. Spare them. Friends, in this moment, before we give our gifts to God, would you reflect on the unconditional, unmerited, limitless favor and love of God extended to you while I, while you had our backs to God, would that melt your heart? Would that prompt you to remember relationships within the body of Christ? Some of them might not even be here. Maybe you send a text, you know, let's, let's talk later today. 
Maybe you walk across the aisles to someone and just say, I'm sorry. Whatever it may be, let it be the Spirit of God that leads you in this moment. Jesus is longing for us to be a different kind of family. Holy Spirit, come. Guide us in this way. Let's pray.